0: Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that now as we have opened our Bibles that you would somehow open our hearts and our minds and that you would cause us today to be responsive to your word, that you would prompt us in our hearts to be doers of your word. You are wonderful, God. You are so merciful and so good to us. And I believe that you are extending the opportunity to this congregation to be wonderful to others, to express your love, to touch the untouchable. So mobilize your people here. Here we are, God. You want to do something in our community? Here we are, why not us? You want to do something in Africa? Here we are, why not us? You want to do something in India, in the Philippines, wherever it may be? Lord, here we are, why not us? There's someone in our immediate proximity that is hurting, that feels so dirty, that is in need of your cleansing and your love and a healing touch. Here we are. Why not us? Instruct us now in your word, but then prompt us by your Holy Spirit to be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We start at the end of our passage where Jesus tells the leper, after having healed him and cleansed him... Not to tell anybody. Now, we spoke about this a few weeks ago when Jesus cast out the demons and he was telling the demons, don't tell anybody who I am. Because you know and you understand the demons knew exactly who he was. When he'd show up on the scene, they would say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus told them to be quiet at that time. And now he tells the leper, after having done a most amazing thing, shh. Don't tell anybody. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It seems crazy. I mean, people are going to know anyway. They're going to see that there's a difference. But it's very clear in the Greek here that Jesus sternly warned them not to tell anybody. In fact, the Greek word there translated sternly warned him, sternly, is the same word that you would use to describe a horse who was snorting. There was great emotion intensity in Jesus when he said to the leper, don't tell anybody what has taken place. Why did he do that? The answer is very obvious in verse 45. It says, But the leper went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news about him to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, if you remember last week, Jesus declared what his mission was in verse 38. He said to the disciples, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there for this is what I came to do. So his intent was to go into the towns and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel of God. And he was going to do it methodically. Uh, You know, he said over and over again, my time has not yet come until the triumphal entry, until the cross. Any announcements, any clear proclamations of his being the Messiah were premature until the cross. But you can't keep a good thing down. The word got out. And so it says here that he couldn't even publicly enter a city anymore because of the word about him. It says in chapter 3, Verse 10, he healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions uh, afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. It says in verse 20 of chapter 3, and he came home, that is to Capernaum, and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they couldn't even take a meal. We're told again in chapter 6 that Jesus had to invite the disciples away because the crowd was so great they couldn't even have a meal. They couldn't get any rest whatsoever. The crowd was so tremendous. And so Jesus told the leper, don't tell anybody because the crowds would come following and looking for the wrong reasons. People came to Jesus for all sorts of reasons as they do today. There's all sorts of false gospel messages that are preached, all sorts of false ideas that are put out about Jesus, uh, health and wealth and the prosperity gospel, so on and so forth. But anytime someone was following Jesus for the wrong reason, he would begin to direct them to the right reason. After he fed the 5,000 and the people came and pressed in about him because of the food, he gave the sermon on the bread of life, saying that he was the food. Please turn my mic up a tiny hair. When the disciples came back from their trip, rejoicing that they were able to cast out demons, Jesus said, in effect, hey, that's cool. That's fine that you could cast out demons, but don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So he always brought it back to the spiritual. He always brought it back to salvific issues, issues of salvation. It all had to do with the cross, and yet people would follow for all sorts of funky reasons. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, if anyone wants to follow me, let him do what? Deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow me. Christianity didn't have to do with what material things could Jesus give you, though sometimes he does. It doesn't have to do with can he heal you physically, though sometimes he does. It has to do with the work of the cross. And as we sang earlier, by giving up our lives, we gain eternity. Jesus said in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he wanted to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. But he did tell the leper to make sure that he told the priests because the priests were those who represented God before the nation. And if you read your New Testament, you realize that by this time, the priests had gotten a little stodgy, a little stuffy, a little religious, a little cold and dead. And Jesus wanted it announced to them that something new was happening. Something was astir in Israel. In all of the Old Testament and all of Scripture, we only have recorded two times when lepers were ever healed. The first time is in Exodus chapter 12, Miriam doubted that Moses was speaking directly on behalf of God, and so God afflicted her with leprosy and later healed her. And then in Second Kings, chapter five, we learn of Naaman the Syrian commander who was afflicted with leprosy and he went to see Elisha, the prophet, and he was healed. And yet in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, in the Levitical law, there are um, amazing details. There is minutiae given as to what the nation, what the priests ought to do when a leper was healed. But it hardly ever happened in all of Israel. A few thousand years of history, it only happened twice. And now Jesus comes on the scene and he wants to make sure he tells the religious people, God is alive, God is able, God is willing, God is powerful to heal. And so he made sure he told the leper, Next time it comes time for you to go to Jerusalem, you make sure you offer up those sacrifices spoken of in Leviticus 14 for someone that has been healed. And then God's priests who are supposed to stand before me in holiness will know that God is on the move. Don't you know that the Bible declares each and every Christian to be a priest of the most high God? It's called the doctrine of the priesthood of the saints. Don't you know that we are to declare as we see people getting touched by God, transformed by God, spiritually healed, emotionally healed, physically healed by God, that we are to know and to discern the days in which we live and to proclaim and offer up the sacrifices that are required for such a thing. The Old Testament Levitical priests were offered sacrifices for the leper who was cleansed and involved a couple birds and a bull and so on and so forth. We, the New Testament priests, are called to offer up the sacrifice of praise, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 13. Let us therefore offer up the sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So as we see God doing things, healing people, transforming people, making lives brand new, delivering presents to children... We are to offer up the sacrifice which is the obligation of the priesthood given unto you, the sacrifice of praise to exalt God for his glorious and merciful working. If you were a leper in New Testament times and Old Testament times for that matter, you are in a bad way. Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 and 46 read like this concerning the leper. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head disheveled and he shall cover his mustache, meaning the bottom part of his mouth and cry unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you were a leper in that day, you are in the worst situation You were commanded by the law of God that you had to live alone, apart from the people, outside of the camp where the rest of God's people were. And anytime you had to enter into the area of people, you had to make sure that your hair was all messed up, that your clothes were torn, so that as they saw you coming, they might begin to say, what's wrong with this guy? Hey, that guy might be a leper. Everybody stand back. And then if that wasn't humiliating enough, you had to cover the bottom part of your face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And everybody would scatter from you. In that day, if you saw some sort of weird thing on your skin, you were required to go to the priest for him to assess what it was. If he watched that over the period of seven days as he was commanded to do in the law and he began to see that it was leprosy, immediately you would be banned from the community. If you had children, you would never hold them again. If you had a husband or a wife, you would never hold him or her again. Your friends, you would never have another conversation with them. Rabbinical law would dictate that you could never come within 50 paces of another human being that didn't have leprosy. You were exiled. You were outcast. You were downtrodden. I brought some pictures today of a couple modern cases of leprosy that we can look at to give us an idea of the horror of the disease This is a woman obviously in India. It's hard to see the picture maybe, but her bottom lip is gone and her hands are gone. Next photo. There's a foot where all the toes are missing. And here's a man with leprosy. And so someone that looks something like that did the most amazing thing in our text. He walked right up to Jesus, defying rabbinical law, which said fifty paces away, defying Levitical law, which said, You must declare and yell out unclean and unclean. He did the most risky, socially unacceptable thing you could possibly do as a leper. Came right up to the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says there that he got down on his knees, completely humbled, and said, Lord, if you are willing. You can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In the Bible, leprosy is always a picture of sin and the effects of sin. The Bible declares in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that all of us have become as one who is unclean, that is, by our sin that even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, those rags that would be hanging off the body of a leper. And so God, when we are in our sin, because of his righteousness, his cleanness, his holiness, views us as we viewed that leper. And yet how wonderful it is that Jesus allowed this leper to come right before him to fall on his knees and he said lord if you are willing nobody else will even talk to me i am so disgusting i am so dirty i am in so much pain i am so alone nobody else is even willing to look at me but you jesus you can heal me if you are willing and jesus said i am willing Be cleansed. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter fifty seven. Isaiah fifty seven. It says in Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. God there is declaring that he is fully separate, fully high, fully exalted in heaven. His ways are not our ways. And also he says, with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says he is high and holy and exalted, and yet he dwells with those who are humiliated, those who are humbled, those who are broken, those who are hurting, that he may heal them. It says there that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the man. What an amazing picture of our God. The Bible declares in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the exact representation of God. God draped in humanity. And when God sees humanity hurting, he is moved with compassion. He is apt to dwell with them. He wants to come with them. In fact, because humanity was so hurting and so messed up, he sent his only begotten son because he so loved the world. Are you broken? Have you been humbled? Are you hurting? Then the Bible declares that though God is high and exalted, He wants to dwell with you. Turn now to Isaiah chapter 30. I want you to see again the heart of God revealed in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Listen to what it says. The Lord is longing to be gracious to you. Longing to give you unmerited favor in his sight. He is waiting on high to have compassion on you. I don't know if we always understand that. But God is our best friend, our most willing ally. The Bible declares that he is a willing Savior, that he's not reluctant. And so when we are in need, he has said, you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and I will be found by you when you seek me with all your heart. And for those of us, our friends and our families who don't know the Lord, the Lord is waiting to have compassion on them, waiting, longing to have mercy on them. Friends, persevere in your prayers persevere in your prayers. Do you know people that are hurting, people that are lost, people that are apart from God's salvation, separated from the love of God and the kingdom of God? Saints, continue to pray. Be like Daniel who started to pray and he didn't stop till he got an answer. Continue to pray and intercede. The Bible declares that God is looking for a man or a woman who will stand in the gap and make intercession. And you make intercession with faith because you know it is God's will to have compassion upon his people. But understand, as you begin to pray for people, God will send a chosen instrument, and if you're praying, it just might be you. How wonderful that we can be God's instruments of compassion, God's hands of mercy. He is not manifest in the flesh right now on earth. Jesus won't touch anybody physically right now on earth, except through you. You are the embrace of the Lord to humanity. You are the hands of healing in this community on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to see exactly how the Lord responded as we go back to Mark. Back in Mark chapter one, verse 41 And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Who knows how long this man had been a leper, but for the whole time that he had been a leper, nobody had ever touched him. I read a story this week of a pastor who was counseling with a man that was so lonely that he went to get a haircut once a week. Just so that someone could touch him in an uncomplicated way. There are people sitting in these very pews today who are in that situation, longing for love, wanting someone to touch them, to care for them. The children that we saw in the video no one. The Lord always reached out and touched people. I'm sure it was never comfortable to touch a leper. The Lord always reached out and touched people. Earlier in the chapter, chapter, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He grabbed her by the hand. He touched her. He raised her up. Later on in chapter five, he'll heal Jairus' daughter and he'll say to her, little girl, I say to you, get up and he'll grab her by the hand and he'll lift her up. Later on in chapter six, as people come to him who are sick, he will lay his hands upon them and heal them. Later on in chapter seven, It says, after Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, he put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up into heaven with a deep sigh and said, be opened. That was weird. (laughs) But he touched him. And in chapter eight, he would do something very weird with a blind man as well. And in chapter nine and in chapter 10, he would scoop little children up in his arms. Jesus always reached out and touched. Listen, church, I believe that we as a church, if we are not willing to reach out and touch, that we will die. We will become ingrown. We will become self-absorbed, self-obsessed. James wrote, the brother of our Lord, in the first chapter of his epistle in the 27th chapter, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, that you visit widows and orphans in their distress and keep yourself unstained from the world. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, that you visit widows and orphans in their distress. That is a calling upon the church. I thank God for ministries like Samaritan's Purse headed up by Franklin Graham that are reaching out and touching these kids that no one else is willing to touch. But what about here? What about in your family? What about in mine? What about in our friends? What about in our workplaces? The Lord is wanting to touch people. He is not a reluctant savior. He is willing. The Bible declares in 2 Peter and in 1 Timothy, He is not willing that any should perish, but wants all to come to repentance. Who's going to tell them? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10: How shall they know if no one preaches to them? How shall they see if nobody goes? You are the hands, you are the feet of God. You are the mouthpiece. You alone have the words of life entrusted to you. We have been given the wonderful ministry of reconciliation. And so today, if you understand that spiritually you're a leper, just dirty in the sight of God, you need to understand that there is Nothing to keep you from coming to him except for your pride. But as a leper, you ought to be humbled. What did a leper have to be proud about? No possessions, no family, no good looks, no social strata, nothing. He came humbled before Jesus on his knees and said, if you are willing. Today, if you are hurting, if you are afflicted as a leper, you just come before Jesus and say, are you willing? The answer is always the same. I am willing, I am willing, says the Lord. But I believe there's something else that we need to be mindful of this morning as a congregation, and it's this. There are many that we have, in our own arrogance, declared to be unclean. That is, something about them, something maybe that they've said to us in the past, something we know they've done or are doing, for some reason we have declared them to be unclean in our sight. We've said, I don't want anything to do with them. I want that person to remain 50 paces away from me at all times. And there has risen up in our hearts a root of bitterness against that person. Maybe they're in this church. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're in your workplace or their friends or Whatever. But I believe that this morning many of us have taking root deep in our hearts a bitterness that needs to be dealt with. We have declared somebody unclean. I know by the Spirit of God that even in this congregation there are people that sit on this side of the room because they know that so-and-so sits on this side. And they never thought in their wildest dreams as they had an altercation or a problem or something years ago that they would wind up in the same church but here they are. And now God is calling us to deal with it. Now God is saying, get rid of the 50 paces. You go to that person that you in your own arrogance, in your own bitterness, in your own heart have declared to be unclean and you reach out and you touch them. Maybe that's you this morning and there's someone in this room right now and you know you have a problem with them. Can I tell you that the Bible declares that we must be reconciled one to another that we have been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation, first reconciling God to man and then being reconciled one to another. The Bible declares that we ought to be at peace with all men so much as it depends upon us. The Bible declares that if you come to the altar to make a sacrifice and you realize that your brother may have something against you, that you are to leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go to that brother and say, hey man, is everything cool with us? Did I offend you in some way? If I offended you in some way, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Don't you, as I watched this movie last night and I was thinking about reconciliation, as I saw these kids looking for their food in dumps and sitting on top of dumps and living in cardboard boxes, it made me realize how stupid I am. It made me realize how dumb I am that I would hold little grudges against people. Oh man, that guy treated me wrong at one time or this happened when we were surfing or we had this business thing that went bad or you know, I just don't like their attitude or this. That is so wrong in the kingdom of God. And it is a hindrance to the moving forward of the kingdom of God and especially this congregation. I know that there are people in this congregation who are hindrances to non-believers coming. I've heard it with my own ears. Hey, come to church. I will not come to church because so and so did thus and so to me. Now that's no reason not to come to church. Half of me wants to slap him and say, come to church, dude, you need to get saved. But the other half of me wants to slap the Christian and say, what are you doing? We haven't been forgiven so much. How can we not forgive a little thing? Turn to Matthew chapter 18 as we see Jesus talk about it. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, rabbinical law during those times, that is the laws and regulations handed down by the rabbis to the people, declared that three times was sufficient. If you were to pose this of a normal rabbi, you were to come to the Jewish rabbi in the first century and say, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? He would say, dude, three times, and you're, Psh, it's over. Three times, no problem. Now Peter, being Peter, never one to be outdone, comes and says, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he says, check this out, James. Listen, John, up to seven times. No doubt thinking he was the man. No doubt thinking that he was being very spiritual. The rabbis say three, I'm going to double it plus one. I'll see that and I'll raise it. Lord, seven times. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. What is that? Thank you. 490 times. And so, what Jesus was saying was on the 491st time, you're done with them. Forget about it. No, that's not what he was saying. He was illustrating the fact that our forgiveness that we extend towards others who have offended us should be limitless. That's what he was saying. Over and over again. Man, they wronged me. They wronged me again. They did it again. They did the same thing again. They did that same thing again. He said it again. He did it again. He did it again and again and again. Oh, now he doubled it and he's adding to it. And the calling upon the Christian is to forgive every time. To forgive as we have been forgiven, Colossians chapter 3 says. Here's the wondrous thing about it. Is if you are a Christian, you are able to do that. Because God has placed his Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible declares that God's commandments are his enablements. Anytime God calls us as his people to do something, he enables us to do it. The only thing that keeps us from doing it is our own disobedience, our own unwillingness, and our own pride. How wonderful! Is it that we can extend that forgiveness in the same way it was given to us? You are able to do that by the Spirit of God in you. Oh, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you'll have to forgive that person and you won't feel it. But does the Bible say anything about feeling it? I don't know. I read the Bible frequently. It doesn't say anything about feeling it. It doesn't say, oh, forgive him and be warm and fuzzy and happy about it. It just says forgive them as an act of your will, as an act of obedience, as a Holy Spirit-empowered act of obedience to God. Forgive them. You know what this does? This does not only set the person free, but it sets you free. The Bible declares in Proverbs chapter 18 that contentions are as the bars of a castle. That is to say they keep you locked up. They keep you hemmed in. It says in Ephesians chapter four, be angry. Don't you love that the Bible says that? It says be angry. Gives you permission to be angry. And yet do not sin. It makes anger more complicated. Be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let me paraphrase for you. Get over it quickly. And thereby, by letting the sun go down on your anger, give the devil an opportunity. You give Satan an opportunity to wreak havoc in your life when you harbor bitterness against others. Can anybody testify to the truth of that? Right there. (laughs) Sister Sue is testifying. Listen, you're all mad at them. You're all bummed out about them. They're just like you. They are self-absorbed and selfish and don't really care about you. They forgot about it. They went on their merry way. Ah, whatever. And they're just living their life. But who's in bondage? You are. You're in bondage. There's anger springing up in your life. There's bitterness. There's envy. There's jealousy. And it comes out in horrible things. Sometimes I hate the things I say about people. Sometimes I hate the way I feel. And I see someone and I've declared them unclean. They're like a leper to me. Here they come and I'm going to sidestep around them. Woe unto us. Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh no, Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, oh no. And then he went on to say at the end of the prayer, if you forgive your brethren, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive them, then your father will not forgive you uh-oh, oh Oh, no. What does that mean? I think it means what it says. It doesn't sound good, does it? If we don't forgive those around us, God won't forgive us. Look at the rest of the story here after Jesus said 490 times. said in verse 22, Jesus said to him, oh, uh, yeah, Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven, now he's gonna give an illustration of the seven times 70, may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Do you know how much money 10,000 talents would be today? $3 billion. It's a pretty big debt. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. But the slave, therefore falling down, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. That's impossible. He knew he could never repay that debt. He just said, have patience with me. Verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave who was forgiven went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii. The equivalent today of $5,000. Nothing. $5,000 compared to $3 billion? Nothing. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay me back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell down and began to beg him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Well, that sounds familiar. Back up in verse 26, the same slave who's now choking this guy said to his master, have patience with me and I will repay you. And now someone says to him, have patience with me and I will repay you. Verse 30, he was unwilling, however, but went over and threw him in the prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to their master, all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger Handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I understand that many of us have reason to be offended, to be angry. People have legitimately wronged us. In the book of Corinthians, There's all sorts of problems in the church, and Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because they had lawsuits against one another. Christians were suing one another. And Paul said, Don't do that. You know what Paul's remedy was? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to those Christians who had trouble with one another, Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? You were ripped off, so what? You're right. Hooray, they're wrong, so what? Get over it. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? By the way, Jesus Christ was innocent and died on our behalf. He was never wrong, and yet he never protested, but he was led like a lamb in silence to slaughter. Should we not also do the same? Father, help us. Help us now to be moved with compassion as you were moved with compassion. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you will reveal to each one of us people that we have declared unclean, untouchable, stay away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. And you would now make us doers of the word. Holy Spirit, come and minister to your people. We have been touched. We were leprous. We were diseased. We were dirty. We were wrong. And you touched us and forgave us and healed us and made us your sons and daughters. Lord, help us now to extend that mercy and compassion to others. I confess. I confess. I confess that I am wrong. I confess of bitterness in my heart. Of anger, of malice. And I ask you now to forgive me. We ask you to remove from us that root of bitterness. You alone can turn up the soil in our hearts. God, bring your rototiller to our hearts. Break up the fallow ground. Remove the roots that have gone deep of bitterness. And set us free by obedience even now as you are revealing people to us, that we need to forgive or ask for forgiveness. Give your people now feet of faith. I would charge you, congregation, that even in this place as we begin to worship, if there's someone here that you know you are on the other side of the sanctuary for a reason, that today in the name of Jesus before God and the angels you be reconciled, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded, the word of God says, Who are we having been forgiven so much to withhold so little from people? Lord, forgive us. God, teach us to pray for those who persecute us. Teach us to pray who would be our enemies in the flesh that we might be reconciled in the spirit. As we pray for them, even now as we're praying about others who have wronged us and those we've wronged in our hearts, give us a heart of compassion for them a heart of compassion that cannot be contained, that must be moved. Jesus, as you were moved to touch the leper, move us now to touch one another with healing, with grace, with mercy. Come upon your people and let us be real for you and rid us of that cancerous sin that is hidden underneath our tents. Pull up the stakes, Lord. Dig up the ground and reveal it and remove it. Free this body from the cancer of malice, from the cancer of envy, from the cancer of backbiting, from the cancer of slander, from bitterness, from grudges. Heal us today, Lord. We are leprous. Touch us. And commission and call and command us to touch others. In the name of Jesus. As we begin to worship and just sing, you meditate before the Lord and you ask him how you need to respond. And if you need to respond in this sanctuary, you do it. If you need to get out of your seat and walk over to somebody and grab them out of their pew and take them aside and be reconciled, please today do it.